0: Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. All the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. What in the world about a man who was out in the wilderness, clothed in camel's hair, and eating locusts and honey, drew so many people to him, to hear him preach? I mean, can you imagine that? I was kind of chuckling when we were thinking about our giving day, and we were looking to, to uh, the future Maybe some of John's first disciples got together and said, we need to have a special contribution to get John some clothes. All right, We need to go get him some clothes. He hasn't been to town in a while. And I don't think he had been in town for some time. But something he was saying and doing was sure holding the people in suspense, and they were awestruck. I mean, it's quite a hike to get down to the Jordan Valley from Jerusalem and all of Judea. I mean, going there is not too bad. You're going downhill about 2,600 feet, down below sea level even. But getting home is a problem. And for some of these uh, uh, wealthy Pharisees and Sadducees, when John saw them coming, he knew they weren't walking all that way just to repent. Uh, He knew they were coming after him. And he had some things to say to him. But what he was talking about, was like a good suspense novel man i mean it was like one of those tv series that you get into a little bit and then and then they cut it off at the end of the hour or whatever and you're like oh you can't you can't do that now right i want to watch and see what happens the next time and so people kept coming out to him but here's the thing john wasn't talking about himself at all was he He wasn't talking about himself at all. He wasn't talking about what he was wearing. He wasn't talking about the wilderness and what he was eating. He was talking about someone who was coming. And he had something to say to the people about that one who was coming that that was greater than him. Whose sandal straps he wasn't even worthy to unloose and carry. No, he wasn't preaching on fashion. But I'll tell you this, that if we spent our time this morning talking about John the Baptist, the man, he would proverbially roll over in his grave and want us to look upward to the one whom he spent all his time talking about. He'd blush if he knew a whole sermon was about how great he was and there, there was none greater born among women than John the Baptist. Let, let me tell you about John. He'd be, he'd be down there going... Oh, I'm going to come out of this grave and and get you to point like I pointed at the one who would come, and so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about it through the eyes of John because John had his eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, we got this. We grabbed this phrase out of Hebrews chapter 12, where we are uh, looking upon or fixing our eyes upon Jesus, who for the crown that was placed before set before him endured the cross we got to fix our eyes on him. And John had him fixed, not just in what he was preaching, but how he lived. You see, the pattern in John's life is something we can replicate. Because I want to talk to you this morning about what John knew, and then what John spoke, and then how John lived in alignment with what he understood. And it wasn't just the words that were pointing to Christ. It was his conduct. And it had to do with him being a man out in the wilderness. It did have something to do with that. That is not an incidental thing. So let's talk a little bit about this one whom Jesus called the greatest born among women. But let's do it in a way that we learn about Jesus who He wanted to point us to. That was His mission, you know, very simply, to pave the way for the King to come and for the people to receive Him. Did it work? Did it work? It did, didn't it? I mean, we learned that John had disciples. So he had men that he was deeply instructing in the ways of the coming kingdom so that they would recognize the King when He came. And they learned to love John, the man, so much that they were concerned when people actually started following the king. They came to him and said, you know, aren't you concerned? He's baptizing more people than than you are. And that's when he said, I must, what, decrease. But he must increase. Until that day, he kept the people in suspense. I I don't know how long it was that he was in the wilderness preaching. But it was until that day when he, and and he got so detailed that he said, one among you, one among you, making the people start looking around. You know, whoa. So he's here, yeah. And then on, on that glorious day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God, Richard, that takes away the sin of the world. That Lamb that is our Passover that we just partook of this meal with him. And again, on the next day, he was walking past and he bumped his disciples and he said, behold, as if they didn't get it the first day, behold, the Lamb of God. That's him. That was John's mission. Very simple, really, in its scope. But I want to remind you that John was someone who was prepared for this mission. Uh, he learned things that he believed and that he lived. And that's our calling. Our calling is to learn the truth of this life. And we believe that to come from the Word of God, the Bible, to learn the truth. To believe that truth in such a way that it changes our lives, and that we live differently because of that truth, and that's what John did. Listen to what he knew, though. First, about Jesus. Listen to what he knew about Jesus. You can turn with me. Luke chapter one, verse twenty-six. Luke chapter one, first chapter, and verse twenty-six. Well, John's got a lot right there that he could have learned from his cousin in that story about the angelic visit to Mary, and they knew about these things. Uh, Mary, remember, ran to Elizabeth in the sixth month of her pregnancy and told her about it, and John was already six months along in the womb, and he leapt for joy when he heard the voice of Mary come in, remember? Remember? But here's what John would have come to know about Jesus. First of all, his name. Do you know what it means? Jesus? It's from the Old Testament. Joshua, Hosea, Hosea. This says all the same derivatives. Jesus means Savior. He'll be called Jesus because he'll save the people from their sins. Wow, that sounds messianic. Indeed it was. See, there were a lot of prophets who would come. John was one of them. John himself is one. Something he knew about himself. But none of them were to come and save the people from their sins. Nobody but the Messiah, the anointed one of God, would save the people from their sins. Well, John also would have known that he would be great. What an understatement, really. But the angel didn't have to explain. The entire scriptures are filled with the greatness of the Messiah. In fact, to our day, since His coming, about no other person have so many volumes been written than the man Jesus. No other person has been sung about and songs written about than Jesus No other person has changed the course of this world and the nature of this world since he was born like Jesus. No one did the things he did when he was on this earth. Forget it, just 33 years, and really just in the ministry of his three and a half years. John wrote about him and said, all the volumes in the world couldn't contain all the things if I wanted to write to you about things Jesus did every day all day long in just three and a half years. The world couldn't contain There wouldn't be a library big enough to contain all these things. John knew when the angel said he'll be great that this was forecast long ago, even by Isaiah, when Isaiah said, In Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. He also knew he'd be called the Son of the Highest and would reign on David's throne for how long? Forever, the angel said. He'll reign forever. Well, that sounds an awful lot like the kingdom Daniel was talking about that God would establish in the days of Rome in which John was living and began his ministry. That sounds an awful lot like the kingdom that Nathan the prophet told David that from his body, this king would be born and he would be one who would be called the son of God and he would reign on your throne forever. Well, no man lives forever. So no mere man can reign forever. Who must this be? It must be the Son of God. The immediate fulfillment may have been in Solomon, but obviously the long-term fulfillment, the prophecy speaks of Jesus who would reign forever. Guess what that means today, church? Guess what that means, friends who are visiting? Right now, Jesus Christ is reigning over the world, over His people, and He's coming back. That's what that means. He would reign forever. And John knew this. So as John is learning about Jesus, his cousin, and as John then begins to learn about his own calling, there in Isaiah chapter 40 and Malachi chapter 4, where he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight paths for your feet, for the Lord is coming. Make his path straight he realizes he's got a, a monumental task to set forth for one who was so great that when people kept saying, are you the one? Are you, are you talking about yourself? does it sound like the eunuch? Is, is this prophet talking about himself or somebody else? Yeah. Are you, so are you talking about yourself? Are you just talking third person? Is that what you're doing? Prophetic third person? Prophetic tense? He said, no. I'm talking about one who is, a, who is above me Because he was before me. Now wait a minute. Uh, John's six months older than Jesus. How's Jesus before him? He was in the beginning with God. Through him all things were made that were made. Without him nothing was made that was made. And John is saying, I'm not even worried to carry his sandals now. And the Spirit told me... That whoever I see when I'm baptizing, the Spirit of God descend upon in the form of a dove, that that is the one. And I want to tell you that that is him. John knew about Jesus. And so John spoke truth about what he knew. And church, there's parallels here that I'm trying to draw with us, his saints, That there's been truth revealed to us in the scripture about Jesus Christ, about his status as God and as one with God, as being the savior of the world, that is, you and I and our sins, and that he is reigning right now today. Those are facts that have been revealed to us through scripture that the Christ has suffered for us and died. We communed with Him in presence this morning. And we need to speak in conjunction with that truth. Now, how did John speak in his day? This is fascinating. John spoke what he knew. And here's what he knew. He was in awe. John was in awe of the coming one. He was in awe of the Christ He didn't bring a host of new teachings, John didn't, and commandments outside of those that were already established in the law of Moses. He he didn't bring a whole new covenant with him. What John did was bring a no-nonsense message to sober people up and create a pathway for him to enter in among them and for them to receive him. They wanted to make, he wanted to make sure people recognized him when he came. And so he preached a simple message like Jonah Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand. It's not far off. It's not here yet, but it's at hand. It's close. So you need to repent. And you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. A baptism in water, an immersion for the washing of sins, he preached. And he was brutally honest when he preached it. He said to the Pharisees and Sadducees when they came out, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Repent and be baptized, he told them. "He's a truth teller. When people were stubborn, when people were hard hearted, when people were in the name of God, Pushing people away from God? Do you know how John spoke? Brood of vipers. He spoke very boldly. You know, it doesn't happen often. It shouldn't happen often. We probably make it happen more often than it needs to happen. But we should still have the boldness to be able to say to people, you are dead wrong about Jesus Christ. He lives, he reigns now, and you need to repent. Repent. We need to be able to say that to people. That is love. That is love. When Paul put Timothy in Ephesus, when he left him in Ephesus, and he gave him command and charge over the people, he commanded that they teach no other doctrine, and that he rebuke and he reprove and he correct and he instruct in these things. And he said the purpose of this commandment is love from a pure heart. John was bold brutally honest and he was painfully insightful he said don't rely on your status he said don't think to yourselves we have abraham as our father what are you trying to tell us john don't you know we're children of abraham we're the saved and he pointed to some rocks and he said god can raise up children unto himself from these rocks if he wants to but he's commanding you to repent of your sins He's bold. He was insightful. He knew the nature of these people, this particular group of people that he was working with. Thank God not everybody in America is like a Pharisee or a Sadducee in those days. And we know that there were a few among them, don't we, that had an open heart to Jesus. And we know one whose heart was cracked open on the road to Damascus uh, in a great fashion. But I'm thankful I don't have to do that all the time. But if we need to, we need to be able to. We need to just be able to look at people in the eye and say, you're wrong about this. There is a God. Christ is His Son. And He came to save us. And He's coming back. And He said, to borrow a line from a favorite movie of mine, dying isn't much of a living. That's not a quote from the Bible, at least. He was crystal clear. Listen to this. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he'll thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn the shaft with unquenchable fire. A winnowing fan is simply a a hand Operated great fan that creates a great breeze. And when they wanted to separate the heads of grain from the shaft that protected them as they were growing in the field, and they would uh, roll them or crush them or put them, they'd throw them up into the air, and the fan would blow the lightweight shaft out through into the field, and the heavier heads of grain would fall to the ground. That's how they separated the wheat from the chaff. Now picture our Jesus. John is drawing imagery here saying, there will be a day when Jesus will have a great winnowing fan and he'll be creating such a breeze that he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff and then the chaff are going going to be burned up with an unquenchable fire. I think he's talking about hell, don't you? I'm pretty sure. And so John's bringing the heat. But listen. Listen. All Judea and Jerusalem round about went out to be baptized him by by him in the Jordan. Let us not be afraid to tell truth. John spoke the truth. This wasn't a time for spiritual lethargy. A king is coming, first to save and to baptize with the Holy Spirit, but then to come in wrath and baptize with fire. The baptism of fire, some say, may be that Christians will endure hardships and be tried and tested as in fire. That could apply here, but the context is pretty hot. And so I think that possibly he's talking about the baptism of fire, meaning you'll be immersed in fire if you don't repent. That's possibly what it means. But John also, listen carefully, John also wanted people to receive the blessing of Jesus. So he wasn't just throwing fire and brimstone at people to try to scare them, Into getting ready for Jesus they were asking him questions and they would first need to believe in the Lordship of Jesus but then to receive him as the Savior the one who would bring healing to their souls the one who would teach them as the Messiah would the way of God in truth and what does that look like they say what do we do some said what do we do and he answered to them and he said if you have two tunics two outer garments, you have two coats, and you see someone who has none, give it to him. I'm paraphrasing. Give to the one who has none, he said. And he who has food, let him do likewise. In other words, if you have food enough for yourselves, and you see someone else who doesn't, give to those people that food. Well, that's tomorrow's food. If you have food for now, and you see somebody who doesn't have it, give to them. Trust God. Do what's right in the sight of God. He was teaching them the good way of Jesus. Then tax collectors, oh man, tax collectors came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Can you imagine the rest of the people going, Oh, this ought to be good, scoundrels. What shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed from you. Amen, amen, amen. There were amens all around in the. Collect no more than what is appointed from you. Quit cheating people. You're gathering for Rome and you're paid from it. Don't lie to people and tell them they owe more than they do and extort from them. Okay? Likewise, soldiers came. Man, it's getting good now. You know, can imagine the soldiers are now listening and going, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely. And be content with your wages. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. He just kept harping on that. Kept harping on that. Listen, repenting means being godly people. It means being good people. He's not trying to scare them to death, but He is trying to sober them up. And if you left here this morning and you didn't remember these parts about giving and sharing and doing good works for your fellow man, and you walked away and said, man, I need to get my life right, because that scares me to death, that's okay. That's okay, because that will get you thinking about how to get right with God through Jesus Christ. And that's what John was after. Sometimes we need a little fear put into us. John was doing that, but it was all based upon what he knew, church. He wasn't just a negative preacher. There's a great one coming that we need to get ready for. So John then backed it up. He backed it up with a life that was lived in alignment with what he was saying. He believed and lived what he spoke. He wasn't a hypocrite. He was true to himself First of all, he knew his identity. The Scriptures spoke of him, and when he was born and came into that age where he could read and know these things, he said, wow, I'm in the Bible. Of course, I told you last week on Sunday night, you were in the Bible too, right? You remember seeing that, right? All through the Bible, they, them, those people, those nations, those families, that's us. We're all in the Bible. But John's, you know, John's the one crying out in the wilderness, this specific So he's being true to who he is. In other words, he accepted his identity. He wasn't running from who he was like Jonah did. He accepted his identity as one given to to the purpose of Christ, and so are we, those who have committed ourselves to life in Christ. Then John separated himself from the world. And it's really easy, and you'll be really quick to say, Yeah, but that was kind of extreme. I mean, do we got to go out in the wilderness and eat locusts and, you know, eat honey and all this stuff? I mean, did John go to the dentist? Because I got to go to the dentist, you know, in a couple weeks here. I got an appointment. You're not really expecting asceticism, are you? Where you go out and you. No, but there's no question in my mind that to prepare for such a sobering mission as this, to keep anyone from accusing him of any selfish motives, selfish gain, or any thing for which he might be preaching for himself, John dwelt in the wilderness, homeless, possessionless it seems, just like his Lord and Savior. Just like his Lord and Savior. It was going to be a pretty easy jump. For people to go from John to the homeless Jesus, if they believe John, they're going to be able to make the jump. And so he chose to prepare himself in this way, faithful, even even in prison. And you know, John, as faithful as he was and as fruitful as he was, wound up in prison. That's the end of his ministry. He's in prison. He gets beheaded for telling the truth about Herod taking his brother's wife for himself. And while he's in prison and Jesus is out teaching and performing his wonders, he still has some faithful friends. They know who Jesus is, but they're called John's disciples. And he sends them and he says, go ask if he's the one That i've been talking about or if we should wait for another and so they went out to jesus and they found him and they said john sent us to ask you if you're the one or if there's another coming think about this john is he's not unimpressed with jesus ministry he's separated from it can i repeat that he's not unimpressed with jesus He's separated from life with Jesus. He's separated from the life in the fellowship of the believers. He's in a dungeon. He needs encouragement. And Jesus didn't just send those guys back and say, well, tell him, of course, why is he so faithless? Oh, tell him, I said, oh, ye of little faith, where is your... He let them follow. If you watch the scriptures closely, you'll see that he let those men follow him for the day at least. And then it says he sent them back and go tell John what you see. Go tell John what you see happening. The lame walking, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing. Go tell them. Tell him what you see. That's what John needed to hear. You know Jesus was In that spot, a couple years later, on his knees in a garden saying, let this cup pass from me. It's human, isn't it? John drew people into his fixation of Jesus by living consistently at all points of his life with what was true about Jesus. Here's a few takeaways. I'll leave you with this. John prepared people for the kingdom that would come, and it came, and you're in it. And Jesus said, there's none greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom is greater than him. That's you and I. We're greater than John. In what way? We have the full revelation of the kingdom, the ascension of the king to his throne, the ministry of Jesus laid out and then written down for us to see and believe. John the Apostle wrote nine miracles, and he said, but this is enough. Nine miracles at the end of his book. I could fill the world's libraries with his deeds, but this is enough that you may know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's all you need right here. We have all that we need, church, for faith in Christ unto salvation. We have all that we need. We're in the kingdom. Secondly, we must obey the gospel. Repent and be baptized was the message of John and Jesus. It remained the same message, but the baptism changed. After Jesus died on the cross, now we're baptized into Christ, a death, burial, and resurrection, emulating or simulating His that we're united together with Him in the likeness of His death. Twelve men were found by Paul, and when he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit then? They said, we haven't even heard. Well, into what were you baptized? Into John's baptism. No, John talked about the one who would come after him. Friends, if you're not baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, you're missing what the Savior came for, the remission of sins. Don't leave today without being baptized into Christ Jesus, making Him your Lord and your Savior. And finally, We need to embrace God's mission for us and be salt and light in the world with with some intensity, like John. I mean, he believed what he knew. He spoke what he believed. He lived it. He was intense, and that's okay to be fired up. We call people extreme, over-the-top when they're excited about Jesus. I, I think they just probably know him pretty well because he's pretty exciting. And we need to be able to put ourselves aside. And maybe it would do us some good to eat a few locusts in the wilderness, if you know what I'm saying. Disconnect a little bit from your love of the pleasures of this life, some of which may have you, have crouched at the doorstep for you, to use the language of God in Genesis sin crouching at the door. Be careful. John was willing to put it all aside to prepare himself for the King. And we, call, we are called, too, not to have any idols, but to put Jesus Christ first and alone at the top of our lives. So I want to call you all into obedience to the gospel this morning, uh, either by further faithfulness and commitment, or by being baptized into Christ if you're in sin, if you've never been baptized into Christ. Let's stand and sing together.